Hey everybody, I hope you and your loved ones are safe, happy and healthy. Before you listen to or watch the show, remember to subscribe and follow the Mortgage Broker Club on Facebook and LinkedIn to stay up to date with all the latest news and updates. Please note we are not a mortgage broker and do not lend money directly to clients. Remember a mortgage and or borrowing secured against your home or property can be repossessed if you do not keep up the mortgage repayments. The content of this show is for information purposes only and is not to be relied upon. Stay well and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. I am your host Sean Rogers and I am delighted to be joined by Jamie Pritchard, the Director of Sales at Glenhawk. Glenhawk provides short-term property finance with a strong capital base of lend. Whether you're looking to acquire a new property, you might be looking to unlock equity in a current property or initiating a property investment or refurbishment. On today's show, we're going to be discussing the boom in advertising and media attention on building a property portfolio and flipping properties for a quick sale discussing the risks attached to that and exploring the basics of short-term property finance. Um, firstly, Jamie, how are you? How are things? I'm, I'm very good, Sean. Yeah, good to see you and good to be talking to you again. Yeah, very well, thank you. You okay? Brilliant. Yeah, really, really good. Um, really good. I mean, part of the reason for putting the, the show together um, is even on YouTube, you're seeing all the um, pre-roll ads, a lot of people um, pushing the seminars and webinars and free ebooks and stuff like that and i've also been reading a lot about clients approaching lenders directly regarding bridging and bridging exits many seem unaware of the situation they may be getting themselves into um, and how they intend to get out of it e.g like how they would plan their exit and i think we've all seen it on daytime telly in terms of you know becoming a landlord you know buying your houses at auction flipping them but I think with YouTube and extra marketing and people looking to almost become coaches in this area, um, you know, I think there's been some accelerant, if you like, put on that fire. Um, And people may well be getting into difficulty if they do not have the experience and knowledge surrounding bridging short-term property finance and exits, hence you being on the show. So can you explain what bridging is? And in respect of regulated and unregulated bridging, what are the differences? Yeah, of course, absolutely. So, um, yeah, good to anybody that's uh, listening to this. And, um, bridging needs the light shined on it even more. So I'm glad that there's all those programs, but I'm glad to explain sort of the basics of what bridging can be. Bridging is short-term finance. That's what it is. And, you know, the, the name comes from bridging the gap, bridging the gap for what you want to buy um, and then onto the exit routes. And we'll talk about short exits later on. So, um Bridging is short-term finance, which can help you with the solution that you've got in front of you that you want to buy. So let's break them down. Unregulated and regulated is a really easy way of knowing what one is and one isn't. Regulated is a property that you live in. So, you know, my house that I've got in North Wales, you're shown up in uh, Liverpool way, then obviously that you live in it, that would be a regulated bridge. So examples of that would be, you know, with stamp duty changes that have happened, there's still some more stamp duty holiday there. We could be that you've got a chain break scenario. You got stuck in a chain, you really put in pressure and you actually want to buy that property. You could use a bridge to utilise that and exit onto a long-term lender, maybe even a high street lender for that. An unregulated bridge is basically around uh, property that's investment, investments for buy-to-let landlords. Um, that could be HMOs. It could be just normal 
uh, we call it residential buy-to-let property. It could be anything. It could be conversions. And that's where you get into the more the complexities of bridging then is whatever d- different lenders do. So, you know, whether it be development, refurbishment, could it be equity release for a multitude of reasons. So that's the differences between unregulated and regulated so much. And with residential, sort of what's it like from an affordability, a scrutiny point of view, a criteria point of view, if you will, because most people will be aware of what it's like getting, say, a first charge mortgage on the residential property. How does it compare in terms of those checks? Yeah, so with um, regulated bridging, especially here at Glenhawk, who offer regulated bridging, we don't um, allow you to service the loan. So in essence, you don't make any payments per month. However, what we'll do right at the outset when we're looking from the sort of originations and given the terms of the loan and then into underwriting, even more um, sort of scrutinised, is to see what the exit route of that is. So it may be that you do one of those uh, chain break scenarios that I mentioned earlier, actually your exit is the sale of the property in the background i.e we're doing a bridge over both the securities or both the assets actually in that then income is not required as long as we're comfortable with that exit route you're not going to be exiting to a mortgage so we wouldn't have as many income requirements on that and of course you're not servicing the loan however let's have a look at you know a high street bank um, would have to do affordability checks especially you know even more scrutinized after mmr came in and if the exit route was to be to a refinance to a long-term lender, then we would make sure that it fits with said lenders before that we allow you on the loan. So that would be looking at the income uh, through your bank statements, um, similar to what a lender would be. Not in the sense of an affordability calculator externally, and you'd have to do that. The underwriter and ourselves at Glenhawk would do all that for you. Um, what type of things can you use bridging for i mean what can you use it for and what what do you tend to see it being used for um lots of reasons so sometimes um bridging gets labeled as it's just got one use and it's used for speed i get um, a lot of the times but it's actually a problem solver in the sense of solutions so it actually can be for any legal purpose so i've seen people draw money for their tax bills you know which will then be paid and recouped from future business or shares being cashed in or sale of the asset you know, lots of different exit routes on that. I've seen it being built, built um, used for, sorry, auction purchases. So when you need that 28 days deadline to be met, then that can be used a lot of the time for that as well. Commercial, uh, commercial refurbishments, um, second charge bridging as well. It could be also be used for um, what we refer to as rebridges. So they've taken out a bridge. COVID's a great example of this. They've taken out a bridge where they've just run out of time because they haven't been able to do the refurbishment routes or they haven't been able to sell the property in the time um, and give them the adequate marketing time. They take out another bridge, which is a rebridge to um, do that as well. So multifaceted uses for uh, bridging. And, and, you know, we haven't even, haven't even touched the surface of what we can do use it for there, really. And um, I've never done a bridging deal myself personally, but... You know, I think from the outside world, many will think that it's really expensive, that it could be a big issue in terms of, like, say, a monthly interest rate. What what kind of range is there on the interest rate in bridging? Yeah, it depends on the lenders. And, uh, you know, let's go back for a bit of history. Bridging um, sometimes had a bad name out there with customers because... Um, it's seen as ultra expensive, you know, rates up in one point something percent per month for just a normal, you know, auction buy to let property. 
actually the competition in the market and the different funders who come into the market now. You know, you've got um, the you know JPM who back ourselves, the Morgan Stanleys of this world. Some big institutional funders are coming in and uh, driving down the prices. You know, competition does drive down the prices. So, you know, bridging can range from, and I'm sure there's a few. Um, below this, but for, from 0.45 up to the 1%, you know, the 1% for the development deals or maybe the riskier type of deals. Our average um, rate here is around 0.74% for what we do, but we can start rates from 0.65 and I do still do quotes for those type of deals out there as well. So it's really important when you mention um, rates to, to just qualify that is that for regulated, it would be a rate card. So whatever your loan to value is, LTV is, then it would fit into that rate. Actually, with unregulated, what we do at Glenhawk is actually price up the deals accordingly right at the start. And that would be based on the commerciality of the deal, the experience, the net wealth position, A&L. So that's actually the more information you give us at the start. And we never change a rate during the loan as well, which some lenders may do. Um, we will actually price it accordingly based on the case. And I quite like that sort of freedom for the customers and the broker themselves as well. Okay, so if you're on... If you're on regulated, you're on a rate card, and it's very easy to understand that, I guess. In terms of non-regulated, it's a bespoke price and deal across the it industry. It is with Glenhawk. No, not across the industry. So remember, each lender is totally different. So you'll get some of the bank lenders who are out there, um, obviously retail funded um, through their savings, who will potentially have rate cards as well for their unregulated but they may not do the criteria that other lenders like Glenhawk do as well. So it's about not saying that there's 100-odd lenders out there, 166 to be precise on it, but I think it's growing most days. But it's not to say that we all do the same thing. Bridging's multifaceted, as I've shown you before. So some of our, what I would like to take on as a risk, because, you know, it is a risk to lend to anybody, same way NatWest have to measure a risk or Santander to on a long-term loan. We will either price that accordingly ourselves but some will have rate cards for that. The other thing to important when you think about rates, that's not the only thing to consider when we're talking about sort of percentages. Um, you need to consider what the arrangement fees are, which were ours at Glenhawk are 2%, but also exit fees as well are really important. We don't charge an exit fee here at Glenhawk. That is one of the old practices that, yes, it's still around with some lenders in the market, but we don't charge an exit fee here at Glenhawk. We want it to be transparent and right, which I think is on one of your previous podcasts. I've You've heard me saying. And on the subject of exits, um, you know, how important is it to plan that exit? What type of exits are there? And at what point in time should you have as much certainty as you can have, I guess, in terms of your exit plan? Well, I wouldn't proceed with any loan here at Glenhawk without um, knowing what the exit is. So I always... Um, I suppose when I'm doing and placing a deal right at the start myself and uh, the, the managing director here, Nick Hilton, I would be looking at the exit and working backwards. You know, if I've got terms that are available to a um, unregulated, which are maximised at 18 months and unregulated 12 months. So can we exit in that time frame? Because we don't want any customers uh, being stuck on a bridge. It's not good for us. It's not good for them. Um, and it's not good for their future plans that they've got as well. So the exits could be refinance. So refinance either to, you know, one of those long-term lenders that we've mentioned before. It could be actually that you've done it for planning play. There's another reason to do to buy a property. You know, you bought a piece of land that's got planning enabled on it. We're actually just doing it to secure the land now 
the exit could be a development lender. And after that, it could be actually sale of the assets. So sale of uh, properties and the assets is a massive um, exit route that's always put forward to bridging lenders as well. And, you know, lots of others, cash in investments um, and, and different scenarios as well that you could be could be selling something else in your portfolio. Lots of different reasons. And that's why each bridging case is never the same. And if, say, you're buying a house at auction or something like that and you, you're looking to potentially flip it, and I, or, or, or arguably I say, if I can't flip it, I'm going to refinance it. Yes. Um, in terms of credit profile or looking at the lending picture for that, is that something that is kind of on on me, if you like, the borrower to make sure it gets sorted? Is that something that intermediaries get involved in? Is that something that, that Glenn All involved. Look all at? involved. All involved should be. So if we're saying that the customer's coming through a broker and not coming direct to Glenhall, which they can, um, but they're doing that sort of triangulated um, advice and help in the sense of the lender the customer and the broker, all of us should have an eye on that. So obviously, you know, it's not my credit report, it's a customer's credit report. So they should always be mindful of what that is and be transparent with the broker about what it would be. Because they can place a case with us that's got, I don't know, bankruptcy that's only come last week and that wouldn't wash with us. You know, they've wasted time for the broker and the lender themselves then. However, we will look at the credit of the customer um, at the outset. Yes, we do allow a lot, um, some adverse credit in there. And we've got parameters of what we can get comfortable with. And it's not set in stone in the sense of, you know, we can actually work and have an explanation from the customer. But the broker should know that as well, because the last thing you want is progression of a case. That's something that we find out later on down the line after you've paid for evaluation and legal fees as well. So having that understanding of credit at the start can save you time and uh, money. Yeah, so transparency right from the onset, and and it, and there's not enough there's not enough documentation without wanting to drown you all in paperwork. But basically, there's not enough documentation you can't have at the start, like your, obviously your ANLs, your, your net worth, etc. Yeah, on all deals, especially on the unregulated deals, but I'll always ask for the assets and liabilities, so the ANLs for that, just to get a picture of the customer and actually see what they're net wealth position is, you know, we'll actually see what their cash position is as well. That can actually make a deal, uh, the difference between us doing a deal and not really. So us knowing about that at the start prices up the deal. Um, but again, if, you, if you've got a deal where you're actually going to have the retained interest and not service the loan, we won't actually kill you with a paperwork request. We won't need the bank statements that some of the lenders even just want to have a look at, even if they're not servicing the loan. We want to keep it as minimal as possible. But you know, IDs and uh, make sure that uh, we can prove where your address is. Sometimes it's as minimal as that right at the outset. And then the solicitors will deal with the sort of um, the certification of those uh, later on down the line. And is, how do you approach regulated and non-regulated cases? Is, is it like two completely separate departments that you have in there and it's two completely different ways of looking at those kind of cases? Or... As, as particularly from a scrutiny point of view and, and, and that aspect of it, do you treat them both the same in a way or are they I, completely chalk and cheese? Yeah, no, I, well, they, they, they've got different criteria, but in my mind, they're bridging. So I always approach it of looking at it like it's a regulated loan and just making sure that everything's right. And that goes back to, again, the point of making sure they can exit. Is this a suitable security or securities for us? Is the customer... Uh, worthwhile and someone we want to lend to you know adequate amount of credit history or very good credit history um 
and myself and uh, the MD again with my sales originations team and my BDMs deal with both regulated and unregulated. My underwriters deal with regulated and unregulated because you may have a deal which actually combines the two. You have a regulated asset in there and an unregulated to form part of the deal and the ambitions of what the customer wants to do. So I don't separate them out. Again, of course, they've got different rules um, in them, but even in our, in um, Glenhawk, we've got the same funder funding both deals as well. So similar criteria around them. So something I've been reading about um, recently that's becoming more common, unfortunately, is that people have gone onto a bridge expecting to do the sale and either sales fallen through or for whatever reason, they just cannot sell the property. Yeah. So like you were saying before, the last thing anyone wants potentially is to be stuck on a bridge. Yeah. Um, if someone was stuck on a bridge, what what's the best way of getting out of that situation? And is are there any opportunities to come to Glenhawk in a situation like, well, look, I've got myself in a bit of a pickle here. I've not sold the house when I needed to. Are there any other solutions that I, I yes. can look at? Yeah, there, there's absolutely lots of solutions. And, and, you know, when you're going through that, I've got about three or four different answers I can go to, you know, with in the sense of it's all about communication. So that's a communication at the outset. Nobody enters any type of finance or they shouldn't do without their eyes wide open, whether that be the car finance you've taken out or whether that be, you know, the property that you're going to buy and knowing what your future plans are or whether that be the bridging finance itself. You should go in it with eyes wide open and get the appropriate advice if you're not um, experienced enough to know what bridging does. But then communication. So if actually your exit route is not there, we'll be looking at contingent exits for all that lenders should be looking at whatever ways they can actually get out of the bridge and repay it and redeem it at that time. But if that happens um, with another lender, let's say, and you just haven't been able to sell the property, maybe it's nothing to do with the customer's fault as well. They've got down to the wire and the person buying and purchasing their property has just fallen out. You know, it's fallen out, chain's broken down. We can actually look to rebridge those cases. As long as it's a, a viable option for ourselves, we can rebridge. Now, that is a net secondary bridge, but that stops maybe the other lenders um, potential higher interest rates they could charge or exit fees and um, default rates that they could charge at that time. So rebridging could be the option. If it happens at Glenhawk, you know, what's the option? Again, we don't just allow you just to, you know, come back in 12 months if you've got a 12-month term and say, oh, good, you've repaid us. We will talk to you. We've got an excellent service team here headed by Joni Drummond who will be constantly talking to you during the lifetime of the loan to see how you're getting on how you're getting on with the refurbishment, how you're getting on with the sales times. And a lot of lenders will then work in the background and say, well, you had the property up for X. Maybe we should look to reduce and market that now at Y, you know, to give you the best opportunity to jump off this bridge and reach the goals that you want. Communication throughout. And in the wider market, what kind of penalties or hikes do you see if you do miss the exit date? Yeah, there is. And, you know, we... we we and a lot of lenders as well. So, I, you know, I'm not going to tar loads of the people with a brush. They've all got their own um, principles of what they do. But in the market, there's a, not a but that I was going to tar somebody, but in the market, there is 5% default rates as standard by some lenders out there. Um, we have got a facility letter that will confirm actually what the details are of what we would charge. And that is a 1% uh, facility fee that we could charge if you go over the term. However, let's go back to the communication part. We are 
very flexible with people who were talking through. Maybe I had a case only just last week that's just got to go and have an extra one month term. The reason for that is that actually on their exit route, which was a refinance, their legals have just um, been delayed. Maybe that's to do with stamp duty and them just being having too much work on at the moment. But on that case, and it is dependent on case, we allowed the customer to have the extra one month without the 1% charge on that. Now, if there's no communication and they just have put their head in the sand and wanted an extra six months, that's when we could enforce a the 1% facility. But we, that's what we do. Other lenders have got their ways of doing it, but you should always be, when you go into it, and this is me reverse engineering it again, have a look at the facility agreement you're given and make sure those terms are right for you. Eyes wide open. And if you were to like err on the side of caution doing a bridge and go, okay, um, actually I'll try and play safe and do a longer term bridge because that'll then give me more time for whatever it be. It could be the refurbishment, selling it, even arguably like refinancing it. Um, I suppose what some people might not appreciate is whether there'd be early repayment charges. So are they sort of mandatory across the board, across all the lenders, or do no, different lenders do different things on an early repayment it's a, charge? It's a great question, that, Sean, because we don't actually have early repayment charges here at uh, Glenhawk. And the reason is, that for anybody that's listened to this who's a property developer, is that our founder, Guy Harrington, is a property developer. And he set up a bridging company, Glenhawk, because he didn't like those early repayment charges and the lack of transparency with some lenders he was using. That's not all lenders, and they'll all have different views on that, but we don't charge early repayment charges to that loan. So the longer term sometimes is taken. And what I would suggest if you're doing a refurbishment um, uh, you know, loan is that some people, even when they think that they could sell that property maybe within a six-month term, is to really be realistic actually make sure that you can have you know maybe a 10 month term 12 month term whatever it may be as long as it gives you the net position that you want out of it because if you repay early then you only get charged interest on the daily amount that you pay up to better to have if you're able a bridge for longer than a bridge too short and then when it comes to like you were touching on fees like you're saying about the administration fee up front if you will um yes. What other fees are involved? I'm assuming surveyor's fees, solicitor's fees, anything to do with the title? Yes. So there would be other legal fees, and that would depend then on the type of deal itself as well. So that comes down as if it was a regulated and you're just purchasing a property. That would probably be um, a much more cost-effective conveyancing than if you were buying, I don't know, a block of flats and they've got all different with mixed commercial with all different commercial leases on them. A lot more work for the solicitors. So we'd be able to actually get you the quotes on those at the time. If you were to do, um, obviously, when you're lending, we'll have a valuation fee as well. Um, so those come into it. You've got the 2% arrangement fee uh, for us at Glenhawk. Um, plus, you will have other additional costs like uh, the TT fees, I was just thinking of as well there, and, and maybe some title um, insurance fees on there as well. However, they are all detailed always on the terms. And they're detailed on any facility agreement or um, ESIS when it comes to regulated for you to digest. So full transparency on the fees when it comes to it. Okay, so not trying to get after the... I was going to name a certain daytime TV channel, but I won't. Mm -hmm. So not getting over some of the media content you see, but certainly these YouTube pre-roll things, you know. Go to auction, dead easy. Become multi-millionaire property developer yes. in a matter of days, weeks, months, whatever go to auction, get your property at like 70% or whatever, refurbish it, 
all right, you might sell it, but refurbish it and then refinance against the higher rate. Bob's your uncle, away you go. So what happens if I go to auction? And, and this is something I've been reading about that can be a problem. I go, to, I go and get my house, I re- or whatever it be, I remortgage it, I refurbish it, sorry, planning on the remortgage, and, I, and three months in, I can't do it, or I'm struggling to get a remortgage against the higher value now I've done it up. Um, is this something you're seeing, and what should people be doing to potentially guard against that? And then what happens sort of six months on, if you, if you will, in that situation? Let's go back then a step. So you know, the customer must have known that they're going to an auction. It's not like you fall into an auction and fall with your hand up and then suddenly go, oh my God, I've just owned a property. So it's all the planning and preparation beforehand. So I always say, make sure, of course, that you've got the deposit. Make sure that you know what your plans are and where your limit would be for what you're going to put your hand up to in the auction. So don't get too excited. You talk to a man that gets too excited in auctions, by the way. So, you know, but take my advice not what I do sometimes yeah but I do I'd do be the one who's like I'd be the one who sneezes or something and, <laughs> and ends up with their hand going off at the wrong time <laughs> I've been in that auction um it was me but the you um you, no you, you actually make the plans and you know where your cash position is and you know where your plans and you know what actually your limitations and your team around you is remember as much as I'm on here to give sort of um, insight into bridging. I don't know everything about bridging. You know, I've got an amazing team that knows lots and we all together can win together. So that's what your developer, when you're buying that one at auction, should do as well. Do you know what your type of property you're going to do? Do you know how much work it's going to be needed on it? Then the question was around, so you've entered the bridge, you bought that within the 28 days. Well, we wouldn't let you actually draw down on the bridge straight away because we would actually know um, and you, so should you when the valuer goes out as well, what the expected rental would be after you've put in what's called a schedule of works. So that schedule of works will detail what you're going to do to the property. So not just what the property is worth now, the valuer, the valuer will go out. They'll say what it's worth when you've done the work that you're going to do with it. And they will give you an expected rental amount to that then. What you can actually do then is actually work out on with a broker um, on the intermediary websites that for the term lenders out there. And the buy-to-let lenders have calculators that can work out if you can actually exit off that loan and it will give you the amount. So I keep on saying it, but I really want the, the listeners to hear this. Reverse engineer it. Plan backwards. There's a matter of planning that you put into it. Your auction purchases, and I won't name the name of the, the, the program as well, they can be really a good experience if it's done properly. And obviously, the valuations um, are a must. But again, seeing that particularly in the past year, two years, that down valuing has been a problem. What can people do to potentially guard against the risks of down valuing, if anything? I think um, there's a few routes that you can do with this. We know that property prices have been going up and we've seen the boom. You know, uh, fortunately, I'm in the right industry um, for that. You know, there's other industries that have really suffered. So I'm glad I'm in financial services and property in that sense. But um, I think people, if they're refinancing a property or even if they've got a piece of land, need to be... um, Think about what they really have a have a good enough view about what they think the property is, not just actually what they want it to be worth. That's when down valuations really come in, in my mind. And actually, if I was going to be really sort of lender about this, there's no such thing as a down valuation. It's just the correct valuation as attributed by the professional. But I'm sure I'll get shot for saying that. But 
it's actually being and knowing what that property all is, is worth and having a look at comparables in the area yourselves before you actually value up that property. Valuations um, being downvalued, let's keep on using that word, is a thing in the market. But I don't see a hell of a lot of it, I must admit. So it's just being honest and upfront about what you think that property should be worth. And um, just like some of your more niche products, what, what would you say your best non-vanilla skill is in there? What's the kind of thing that you really excel at? Is it kind of like your adverse, you really some kind of like quirky change of use or complex commercial case or something? I know you, might, you, know, you may say all of them, but what would be the one no, where no, you're like, actually that kind of niche area really we excel at that? It's all of them. It's, it's actually about uh, what we can do within the bridging um, underneath our funding. And they allow us, uh, you know, a lot of scope to do that. We were mentioning valuations a moment ago. And actually, one of the things that we can do is, is that we'll lend off the OMV, so the open market value of the property. However, other lenders will work off the 90-day or 180-day value. So on a 90-day value, that could be a 20% decrease. And what that means for you is that you won't get be able to pull out as much net position as you would want to. So the net loan will not be as much. You'd have to put in more deposit and maybe you, you don't have that and you may lose that property. So choosing the right lender, which could be us, that lends off OMV. And even if it's commercial, which we lend on, you know, and some funky commercial sort of refurbishment deals, commercial to residential deals, we allow you to do that under permitted developments or planning as well. You know, which is um, two things that if a broker or customer or developers listen to this, they really need to sort of understand and get a grasp on PD and planning. Um, so we're allowed to do that. Rebridges, which I've mentioned before, is something that we're um, very good at and we can help out both on regulated and unregulated. When we talked about regulated there, one of the things that's really good is that people um want to develop their properties more that they live in now maybe not even want to buy another one maybe they've had a good covid and they've got an extra child on the way maybe you know they, they actually just want more space they've had a bad covid so they want more rooms to separate themselves from the family maybe it's that i'm, def I'm definitely the latter the latter yeah well i haven't got any kids running around but no we've, we've uh, we're moving house but the um you can actually do development of new property, whether that be structural refurbishment under regulated, or that could be under planning or PD again, or internal refurbishment. That is what our regulated um, product does, which is pretty much different to a lot of the other lenders out there as well. So it's really good scope when um, around and some of the really heavier deals. You know, we can actually look now at um, some airspace. You know, builds so building into the airspace, we can have a look at some really hundred percent of costs. So if your work's right up to 100% of costs and lend on that as well. So some really good areas. As I said earlier, no bridge is the same. And to you know, explore what you don't think is possible sometimes because the property may be in ruin and disrepair could be uh, our dream security. Um, I mean, everyone does like top 10, top five. I'm going to try and limit this to three. But okay. whether you're an intermediary or property developer or client, what generally what would you three tips be for someone looking to go into bridging finance especially if it's for the, like the first time or they've they've done stuff that's been quite vanilla for want of a better phrase and yeah uh well the number one would be uh, and here's where the salesman comes out but talk to us talk to glenn Hall because other than just um funding bridging we help with the education so I love, you know, that culture of education of actually helping you do your first bridging case, but helping you do your next five as well. As you see, it's a really viable solution. 
too many times that somebody hasn't used bridging and they've tried to shoehorn it into a different type of funding mechanism. Um, no, that's when you need to sort of talk to me and my team about that. So that would be sort of my top tip. Talk to me because that's the diversification of your business model for a broker listening to this. Next tip would be, I think I've said it through this, but it's really good to repeat the fact of um, make sure you've got all the facts. Make sure you know everything about the customer. Uh, you would be surprised with the terms and what would be possible with a lender that way. So present us all with the facts right at the start because you do not want to know about something that you may have been able to ask the customer about, about something about um, the title or something that was going to come up in legals that could kill the deal later on down the line. So as much transparency with us at the start will allow us to be as transparent with you on our terms as well. And the third one would be, do not be scared by bridging. Yeah, whatever you've heard in the past about bridging, this is short-term finance and a very viable solution. Yeah, there's no problems with bridging, just solutions. And that's what we're here for. It's here and playing its part as well as buy to let residential and second charge in the market. So it's a really good and viable solution that you should be um, looking at within your business itself. Yeah, I would just add to that that, when the solicitors get involved, it's worth uh, remembering that they will do an absolute deep dive and choose their responsibility on anti-money laundering and, and obviously solicitor regulatory authority regulations, stuff like proof of funds, proof of source of funds, proof of sales yeah. of assets. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny there, a lot more so I would suspect than on a traditional residential deal. Hugely. Yeah, and, and that's when you can potentially then have solicitor delays come in. Because I think a lot of people um, don't appreciate that you might, if you let's say you haven't got your ducks lined up on some of those issues, let's say it's proof of source of funds, the solicitors running the caseload, they're not self-employed or generally part of a small team or whatever. So if you take a week to respond to that, say, ignoring the fact that it wasn't there in the first place, the solicitor can't just drop everything on that given day and prioritise your case because they're running a busy practice there is a, an order that has to be in place there where every client needs to be treated with the same level of respect if you like so you only need a couple of delays which which ignoring not doing it in the first place if the solicitor sends it out and it takes you a week to come back it doesn't mean that it starts then it could take the solicitor three more four more that, that could yeah. even take them a week if they're away and then they go well actually i need this now and before you know it a month's racked up so Similar to what you were saying before about getting the documentation in place at the start, I would say, especially from a proof of funds, proof of source of funds, proof of sales of assets or anything like that, that level of scrutiny from the solicitors. If you have all that lined up, I think you can. And sign up with your solicitor quickly and all that kind of thing. If you're going to do that, you can save precious time that you may, hopefully you don't, but you may um, regret. Yeah, if you're comfortable with the risk, if you're comfortable with the risk, you know, you can pay for the undertaking a lot earlier, you know, and get the wheels in motion. It doesn't need to be, you know, one train track with all the trains behind it and the conveyancing can now start. You can actually start a lot of those processes at the same time. But I would just add to that, Sean, it's a very key point that you raise. The solicitor, if you're a broker listening, the solicitor that you've used always on long-term deals may not be the right solicitor for a bridging deal as well. So there is some that are really good at bridging deals. Now, most are great at conveyance in full stop as well, but just don't assume that. And they may understand all of the bits that you raise because it is a lot more involved than a long-term deal. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, even, even with our platform that we use, we don't have or wouldn't allow 
any bridging or anything like that to go through a standard platform, if you like. Um, we have to deal with that in a completely bespoke way. And it's interesting from an education point of view. I think some people are early on in bridging, turn their nose up at the quotes from the solicitors. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think it's interesting that some of the more experienced people in bridging don't because they've yeah. seen the problems that come if you go with a solicitor's firm, you know, get what you pay for element yeah. of this, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's not so much the badge above the door. I would ignore the brand, for want of a better phrase. But yeah, so like you say, there are some solicitors that are very niche and very good at, in that in that space. But there is a price that comes with that, yeah, of if you will. But there's a place that comes with it, you know, you know, one of the, the final things, you know, which probably I've mentioned as much, I've done refurbishment, but if you're lending on the property and you're buying it for 800,000, you're going to do 300,000 pounds of work on it, but the GDV, the gross development value is 2 million. And then your exit route is going to be selling, selling some of that. You're making money on those deals. So the actual solicitor's costs, that's an all involved deal with that type of deal. They're not going to be, you know, the cheapest of the cheap or free solicitor deals that you may get if you're remortgaging your property with a high street lender but there's a lot of profit and that's a business expense that can be put in it's a business expense on a hundred percent and with the kind of sums of money involved to the point of haggling over 500 quid you know in that context as well well that's it for this week everyone thank you jamie for being such a fantastic guest and and thank thank you for listening or watching and if you want any further information on glenort please check out the website and the links below i would definitely recommend following jamie on linkedin and for more news updates and, and engagement with Jamie directly. Um, we're recording this feature in two parts. So this is part one. So please make sure you get stuck into part two as well, which is on permitted development rights and change of uses and stuff like that. Um, please share and spread the word about the show. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please hit us with a five-star review. But more importantly, please stay well and take care.